Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you along with Tony Morrell. Weekly review preview episode here. I want to thank everyone for joining us today to talk a little Gamecocks. And, you know, Tony, I think that it's it's always easier to record these and talk about these after a win. South Carolina defeats Vanderbilt 24-7 Saturday night. Um, I don't want to call it an ugly game because I, I don't know. I think a lot of games get ugly in the SEC these days, but it was it was a little bit of a a situation where you know Carolina won comfortably, but there there was still a lot you could look at and say, well, they need to improve on this. I I think Vanderbilt sort of peaked when they beat Missouri. Uh, they had a new quarterback in that game, and then their starter, who was starting in place of the new starter, goes out after the first series. They're down to their third teamer, Deuce Wallace, which is a great name. I don't know that Deuce Wallace was very good. <laughs> they were without Kalijah Lipscomb. Um, but the Gamecocks win 24-7, to and uh, I think you take that over the alternative. I, I know uh, just from talking to people around the program heading into the week, they did not think it was going to be an easy game just because of the way Vanderbilt attacks on defense and things like that. And, and the fact that, you know, after watching the Missouri tape with Vandy, you know, they felt like Vanderbilt actually beat them. It wasn't a fluke. And and I know there was some concern heading into this football game. So, you know, a win's a win. The season's still alive, I think. Um, and then the last three games, the last 25% of the season is yet to be played. And, boy, it's going to be critical. Yeah, I, I would call it a strange game. Strange, it was a, yeah. a, 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 a slow start for South Carolina, defensively especially. You know, giving up the the early touchdown on on a blown coverage by J.C. Horn, which is not something you see very often from him. Uh, just a you know miscommunication in the secondary, and and at that point you're wondering if if that's a a sign of of things to come the rest of the game, given how the the secondary played against Tennessee the week before. Uh, but uh, the the defense rebounded after that drive, and and you know like you said they end up having to change quarterbacks and. He was limited on what he could do, but but South Carolina really started to control the line of scrimmage and and played much better uh, defensively after that scoring drive. And then you know offensively, you know I thought Brian Edwards had the best effort games of his career. You know he's a guy who always plays hard, uh, but he just seemed to be a man possessed who was trying to make the most of every touch he got, whether it was a, a catch. Uh, you know, on the pitch or the sweep that they run with him or, or on punt returns. You know, he was never easy to bring down and was always fighting for that extra yard or two and uh, really had a good game for them. And then uh, the running game uh, with Deshaun Fenwick leading the way, which I certainly <laughs> never dreamed I would be saying that at this stage of the season, considering he hasn't played here. Uh, but, you know, he came in when he got his opportunity and really took advantage of it, ran extremely hard, had fresh legs and, and you know, had some some nice runs for them, and get Kevin Harris back as well. So, you know, all of a sudden, South Carolina's gone from a team that you know, didn't have a lot of depth at running back to to now they they feel like they've got four, maybe five guys they can count on there, and uh, it's looking like a, a deeper position at this point in the season than it, it was not long ago. Absolutely, you know, and and with Brian Edwards, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, and I think especially this year, um, the North Carolina game notwithstanding, because I think he was very frustrated in that game, obviously caught one pass, didn't have a lot of targets, that type of thing. But almost from the Alabama game on, Tony, and it was early in that Alabama game where they ran that little 
it counts statistically as a pass, but it's almost like a, a jet sweep kind of thing. And he goes around the edge and fights for extra yardage and stiff arms the Bama guy and, and was really you – know, he's a big, strong kid, and he's hard to bring down. And I think, you know, that, that moment, when you think about moments in a season, you know, that moment I thought, well, you know, if he can keep this up, uh, he could kind of be difficult <laughs> for any uh, team to stop this year. And, and it's proven that way. You have 14 receptions is a lot. I – I remember Zola Davis, I think, catching 14 balls against Vanderbilt in a loss at the end of the Brad Scott era. And I think Alshon Jeffrey may have caught 14 in a game. I don't remember. There's three guys that have done it. And so he tied a school record there. And, and I think, you know, he's kind of closing in on a lot of other school records. He's already – he broke Kenny McKinley's all-time receptions uh, mark. And he's closing in on the touchdown and yardage mark as well. So – Hats off to Brian Edwards, you know, for a player that some other schools thought was a safety. <laughs> I think he's done a pretty good job uh, as a wide receiver at South Carolina and probably has set himself up nicely uh, for the NFL. You mentioned Deshaun Fenwick. Um, glad to see that happen because as a recruit, I, I know that internally they thought this guy could come in and be a big-time player. Um, but when he got to campus, you start hear, you started hearing about, well, He's got some work to do. He's got to – they used him out wide a lot in high school. He's got to learn how to run between the tackles. Uh, he's a 230-pound kid, so you'd think he'd be pretty good at running between the tackles. Uh, there were some signs of hope uh, against Chattanooga last year, 17 carries for 112 yards in that game. Uh, I thought he had moments in the spring where he looked pretty good. Uh, Kevin Harris sort of, I think, stole his thunder a little bit because I think Kevin Harris is better at running between the tackles. Uh, when you're talking about the younger backs. Um, and then here he comes, you know. Uh, that was not something I expected. Uh, I'm with you. I was I was kind of – I knew they'd get Kevin Harris back. And, by the way, Kevin Harris scores another touchdown, so he's got four for the season now. Um, 18 carries, 102 yards. I, I thought Fenwick got better as the game went on, too. Uh, and you hit the nail on the head there with fresh legs. Um, another guy I'd like to mention, uh, and I'll see what you think about this, uh, you know, South Carolina, I think, you know, we know Brian Edwards has been really good. We just talked about that. Shai Smith, who missed, missed the game with a hamstring injury, supposed to be back this weekend, is obviously the number two guy. But the third receiver position has kind of been a head-scratcher uh, a little bit. Josh Van's done some nice things. Of course, he's out for the year, and we'll talk about the injuries here in a second. But Xavier Leggett, I, I thought, you know, this was really kind of his first real opportunity was shy being out. Um, and he was impressive, you know, called a touchdown pass, three catches, 34 yards. Uh, I don't know, you know, when you kind of look at the history of the program, you can kind of see that uh, there's usually a guy from within the state that steps up and is that next guy. And if I had to kind of guess as to who that may be, uh, I'd probably go with Leggett right now if you're talking about freshmen. Yeah, the, the touchdown catch especially was the sort of play I expected to see from him after hearing so much about him during fall practice. You know, I had multiple people that I spoke with inside the program who really raved about how he performed. Uh, he'd made a quick transition to receiver. He, he primarily played quarterback in high school and, and made a quick transition to the receiver position and uh, really had a nice combination of size and speed and, and was, was giving the secondary some issues 
in fall practice and you know has had got some a lot of early snaps and just never really did anything. Now he wasn't targeted a lot, uh, but you just didn't see uh, the the skills translate from the practice field to to game situation early in the year. Uh, but he sticks with it and and gets his opportunity against Vanderbilt and and uh, I think showed that he's he's got a, a nice combination of of skills and uh, if he can continue to develop and and have a really good off season I could definitely see him being a starting receiver for South Carolina next year and, and being one of the guys who who works to try to fill the void that's going to be left by Brian Edwards' departure. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, and I like um, I like receivers that have size and speed. That's a good combination. I, I think I don't think I'm alone in that assessment. But uh, they say he can really run. I mean, they say he has really really good speed, and you know, obviously on the touchdown catch, that that's exactly kind of what you expect from a guy like that. Um, Ryan Halinski, Tony, I thought, you know, 24 for 31, a very steady effort from him. Um, thought that, uh, you know, accuracy-wise, he was on the money. Uh, and, you know, we see that from time to time. I watched Florida-Georgia this weekend, too. And Jake Fromm, in that game, unlike the game against Carolina, he was on the money. And I think sometimes quarterbacks, people don't realize it. It's, it's not Xbox, you know. For whatever reason, they'll have games where they aren't accurate, and that's especially true with freshmen. But uh, I thought his accuracy – you know, from from the Florida game through Tennessee and then to Vandy, you know, I, I thought it had improved uh, week over week. Um, and I, I thought he made good decisions and, for the most part, played pretty well. Yeah, I agree with that. I would call it an efficient game from Holinsky. And, uh, you know, I think the timing of the passing game was better, and that's a positive because it, it had been off for a little while. It really did not look right at all in that Tennessee game. And – yeah, it was good to see him bounce back and and have a better game. He really spread the ball around to a lot of different receivers, made some some tough throws in key situations to extend drives, and you know had a, a really nice throw there uh, to hit Edwards for what was essentially the the, the touchdown that sealed the game. And I, I thought he had a confidence building type game, and they're going to need him to to play well in these next three games for sure, and to continue to improve, but. Uh, I thought it was a, a nice bounce back game for for him and the entire passing game after a, a rough outing at Tennessee. Sure, I, I, I still think too though when you look at the offense, there's they ran some different plays, you know, and and I'll give Brian McClendon credit for that. They they ran a lot of uh, stuff that you may have maybe haven't seen yet. Uh, the one one of the plays it was an excellent play design with Edwards uh, out there kind of on the flank. Um, you know, so I, I give them a lot of credit for that. I still get kind of concerned about the inconsistencies and the issues when they drive uh, deep. They call it the red – you know, people talk about the red zone. I'm in, Inside the opponent's 40, I start to get concerned. And, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of how they used to carry and Joyner in the football game. Um, I think he just needs more. I think everybody kind of expects what's coming when he's out there. Um and I don't know. I, I still think that there's work to be done in that department, you know, particularly when you're playing, you know, App State, Texas A&M, and Clemson coming up. These are these are three really good football teams, better than Vanderbilt, in my opinion. Um, and so I still think that's kind of a work in progress. I know that uh, uh, they moved Brian McClendon to the box and Dan Warner to the field, and that seemed to give them a little bit of a, 
you know, a better look, I guess. But I still think that, you know, at the end of the day, there needs to be more consistency with the play calling. Your thoughts? I agree. And and they definitely – the offense tends to struggle when the, when the field shortens and, and they, they get closer to the end zone. They, um, you know, they just – so much of the offense right now just feels like a, a, a mix of plays, a lot of which don't seem to go together. Uh, nothing sets up the next play – um, you know, the, I don't think they're using motion as well as they could to set up certain things or to, uh, you know, throw the defense on every snap. And there's a lot of different things they could do. Um, but it just there there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of continuity to the play calling and, and you know, what they're doing as the game goes on. So uh, it's certainly something that, that he and the, the rest of the offensive coaches have to get figured out. And, you know, I think. You know, they don't run, uh, you know, spur. You go out to the Spurrier era, uh, the fade in the red zone was a huge part of, of South Carolina's offense and had so much success doing that. And these don't seem to run a, just that, just one play to, to off the top of my head. They, they don't seem to run very often in the red zone, and I don't understand why, uh, especially when you have, you know, a guy like Brian Edwards who can really go up and get the football and, and, and you know, out-duel a, a cornerback in, in those kind of situations. Um you know, so I, I do think there are things they could do differently in the red zone, and and they need to be more efficient and and come away with touchdowns much more often than they have this season to have a chance to, to you know, not just this weekend, but at A and M, Clemson at home to win those kind of games. You have to take advantage of of every red zone opportunity you get and, and score as many touchdowns as possible. And and the the trend for South Carolina there is not very good right now, and they have to find a way to reverse that. Yeah, Gamecocks have not scored. I think 24 in an SEC game is, is the most they've had this year. 24 really against Power 5 opponents because they only had 20 against UNC. So, yeah, that's a, that's an issue. I mean, th- this offense scored a lot more points last year in certain situations, especially against bad defenses. Uh, if you look back to Ole Miss and, you know, heck, even Clemson, they put up 600 yards. And, uh, you know, this is, this is kind of a – a concerning thing as you head into the last three games of the season. Uh, another concerning thing, and I, you know, Tony, I don't. This 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 subject kind of drives me crazy because you know, I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. We're not physical therapists or medical experts. <laughs> um, but but I, there has to be some sort of answer, and I don't know if it's human, you know, practice-related, training-related, whatever. I'm not, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus here. Not Will Muschamp, not Jeff Dillman, nobody like that. But I, I just don't understand, you know, maybe it's luck. And if it is luck, then that's an issue too. But South Carolina just has a lot of injuries. Um, Josh Van out for the year now. Tavian Feaster has a groin. He's questionable. Um, you know, you had Nick Muse tear an ACL. I mean, what else can go wrong at tight end this year? Now, Bobby Bentley's worked a miracle with that position because they don't, they don't really have anybody but Kyle Markway now. And I, I, I just – I don't know. I, I'm open to suggestions or theories or, or what. I will say this. Will Muschamp had a lot of injuries at Florida too. And I, I'm not pointing the finger at him again. But I, I think that, you know, provided the Gamecocks – have a decent finish and there's no coaching change or anything like that. I, I think there needs to be, they need some outside experts or whatever. And they said they looked into this last year, but I think they need some sort of like uh, 
help with this? And I don't even know if something like that exists. You know, do you, do you have consultants that can come in and say, hey, look, we have too many injuries. How do we prevent this? Because, you know, people don't realize this. Will Muschamp probably has more depth than Steve Spurrier did. I don't know that he has the superstars. But if, if Steve Spurrier, during his early years at South Carolina, had had these sort of injuries um, at key spots, I mean, think about this, Tony. What if Steven Garcia had gotten hurt in 2009 and Reed McCullum was the starting quarterback? Yeah, it, it would have been <laughs> ugly for sure. I mean, they, uh, in 06, they played with Carlos Thomas and Captain Munerlin at quarter corner just about the whole year. I mean, they had Stoney Woodson that would come in as kind of a third DB. Any injury to those guys, and that, that defense is wrecked. You know, they don't go to the swamp and almost beat the national champs, you know. And so, you know, Spurrier had a knack for not really having that many bad injuries. And Will Muschamp's just the opposite, and I, and I don't know what it is. I, I just I, – I don't know – I don't know what it is. So, I'm, I'm open to theories. <laughs> I, you know, I, I wish I had that answer for you, uh, but I don't. You know, there's there's really two common denominators between what happened in Florida and what hap- what's happened at South Carolina so far with the injuries, and that's Will Muschamp and Jeff Dillman. And um, I know some people have the theory that South Carolina's practices are too physical, but that isn't the case. You know, they the 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 physical the practices is very similar to what Steve Spurrier did. You know, there's a lot of thud tackling, very little to the ground, you know, outside of, of uh, you know, in the, the full scrimmage situations in the stadium. And, you know, they don't hit the quarterbacks. Uh, it's, you know, they, they're taking the necessary questions. I know Will Muschamp and the assistant coaches preach how important it is for, for players to protect their teammates in practice. You know, you want, you want players to go hard and, and to, to give it their all, but at the same time, you, you can't hurt your team with unnecessary injuries in practice. And um, so, I, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but I agree with you that it, 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 the, the program has enough obstacles uh, to, to overcome and to, to add injuries every single year into the equation uh, makes it tough. Now they haven't had the same number of injuries this year as they had last year, uh, but the injuries seem to be increasing as the season goes on, and and that's that's definitely a concern. Now, I think last year a lot of it you could point to the lack of depth and the players who had to play an inordinate number of snaps, and I think that can lead to injury at times when you have tired players out there and um, and, and they aren't protect themselves quite as well as they they would if they were at full speed and. Uh, that that certainly was part of the equation last year, but this year they have more depth for the most part. So I don't think it's it's really uh, players who are playing too much, but it, it is something they have to get figured out because um, it, they just don't. While they have some depth, they don't have enough depth to overcome injuries at key positions against good opponents. Yeah, I mean, you know, at different times this year, you know, if you look at the Tennessee game, for example. You know, and I think it's hurt the offense worse than the defense this year. The defensive guys have kind of stayed intact for the most part. But you go to Tennessee, you don't have – and I'm talking heading into the season. You're starting quarterback. You're starting running back. You're starting right tackle. You're starting tight end. And a potential D-line starter in Kier Thomas. Um, and all these guys have missed huge chunks of the season. Well, well now – you get your starting running back back, but your number two guy, who's been pretty doggone good this year, all of a sudden he's hobbled. 
you get your starting right tackle back. The other guy at tight end you had um, to kind of replace Kill Pollard is gone for the year. And, of course, Jake Bentley's out for the year as well. So, I, I just, you know, they've kind of hit key spots this year. It's not like they've been decimated. At, besides tight end, I don't think they've been decimated. And certainly, you'd rather go to battle with Dylan Wanham than a guy like Jalen Nichols or Ja'Kai Moore, who those guys just aren't ready. Um, they're going to be really good, but they're just not ready. Um, and so, I, I think that's an issue. But I, I, I would dig into this hardcore this offseason – because if you're Will Muschamp, you have to just be sitting there thinking enough's enough. I mean, what, 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 if, you know, self-reflection, reflection on Dillman. Is it a situation where maybe, I mean, because, you know, they even have the catapult system. And they, 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 they take, like a lot of programs, South Carolina takes advantage of technology to monitor their players and things like that. Mac Brown, it was kind of funny before the, the opening game of the year, I watched his press conference and he was talking about how they were injury free and, he was like, well, you got this new finagled thing called a catapult system, a GPS thing now, and it just monitors him. He, he looked like a kid, like he was just discovering something, you know, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny because Mac Brown's you know, 68 years old. But they have all that, and I, I don't know. I, I, I would also go and look at, you know, maybe what some other schools do in terms of hydrotherapy and make sure that you're doing everything you can possibly humanly do to cut down on injuries. Now, injuries are going to happen, but there's an issue there, you know, and, and I don't know that anybody knows what it is, but there, there just has to be a reason, you know, that this happens other than just bad luck or, you know, some sort of curse, which, uh, you know, I don't know what you do about that if that's the case. So, I'm, I'm, I'm just not uh, – uh, after this week, I was just like, man, you know, here, here goes more injuries. Um key players and uh you know like you said south carolina's got enough to overcome uh in order to you know to, without having to deal with something like this so we'll see what happens all right so recruiting um south carolina offered a new running back this week rashad amos out of sandy creek high school uh in tyrone georgia if i'm not mistaken and that's a spot where the Gamecocks got Alan Knott and Corey Banks. Uh, Sandy Creek is Al Calvin Johnson's alma mater down there in Atlanta. Um, he was committed to Western Kentucky, and he decommits today. Tennessee's also offered him, which is no shock. Um, Tony, what do you make of this Rashad Amos kid kind of as a player um, and, and kind of – I looked at the film, and I understand why they offered him. Um, he's a big kid that can run. Uh, but kind of what's your take about this uh, Rashad Amos, a new running back target for the Gamecocks? Yeah, I, I like his film as well. You know, six feet, 210 pounds, um, runs really hard, good balance, good power, good speed for his size, catches the ball well out of the backfield. You know, really has, has had an impressive senior season. And like you, I, I understand why South Carolina and Tennessee have offered him and uh, I think he's I think he's an SEC player when you watch him on film, especially when you consider the level of competition he's playing against. You know, he's he's playing some some good football teams uh, in that part of Georgia. So um, I, I like him. You know, I, I think from from talking with some sources, I think Henry Parrish remains the priority at the running back position. Uh, he already took his official visit to South Carolina, and you know things have been quiet on his front since then. Uh, he at one point had said he. 
make a, an announcement between South Carolina and, and sticking with Pittsburgh, but it never happened. And the source I spoke with earlier this week still felt very good about South Carolina's chances with him based on the feedback they were receiving. But at the same time, they know they have to get another back in this class and they have to cover their bases. And when they watched Amos on film and evaluated him, they really felt like it was a, uh, a no-brainer to offer him, so they extended it. And I expect him to, to take an official visit to South Carolina unless Parrish makes the decision prior to that visit taking place. Yeah, Henry Parrish has just kind of gone quiet, I think. But, you know, like we discussed, folks, on the podcast last week, South Florida kids, you do that. Anything can happen. <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those things down there when you recruit, anything can happen. And, you know, and, and kind of transitioning to this next topic uh, within the world of recruiting, let's, whoever Florida State hires, if they can't get Jalen Knighton back in the boat, a guy like Henry Parrish, for them – I could see them trying to get involved, you know, whoever gets that job. Of course, if they do what Willie Taggart did, they're going to come in and not contact the guys that are committed to him and all that. Like, that's what happened with Rosendo Lewis when they lost him to the Gamecocks. But, uh, yeah, I think FSU's probably going to make a, at least a competent hire this time. And I would watch that with Parrish as we move forward. And um, when you recruit, you have to cover all your bases. And uh, – I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of the thought process because you just never know with, when there's change. Once we get out of November, you know, it's it's a mad dash to get kids signed these days. And uh, you just don't know how other things are going to impact that. Um, speaking of Florida State, I don't know. You know, uh, Carolina, I think the one guy in their class Carolina kind of looked at was Isaiah Brunson, a four-star cornerback from Tucker, and he did decommit from them. Not sure if that's going to end up being a guy they go back in on or not. I mentioned Jalen Knighton, their running back, who I think is a special player. Um, and certainly, you know, if, if you're looking for a guy to go with Marshawn Lloyd, you can do a whole lot worse than him. But, you know, unlike when Jimbo left, Tony, where the Gamecocks were kind of recruiting many of the same guys, I mean, Izzy McQuamu was part of Jimbo's last class for a while before he flipped, and Rosendo Lewis, who I mentioned as well. Um, I don't know that this is going to be something that, you know, in terms of rating their commit list, uh, that the Gamecocks are going to, you know, take advantage of or not. Yeah, and they don't really have a lot of room Yeah, is the other problem. Uh, you know, I think they feel good about their standing with some other guys at their positions of need. So they don't have a lot of room, but – I do think they would like to sign another defensive back in this class if they can make it work and it's the right player. Um, so I could, you know, I could see them, uh, you know, taking a look at Dunson and maybe bringing him in and 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 seeing if there's a, a good fit there, uh, particularly if he decides to take multiple official visits. But, um, you know, but I don't think, like you said, I don't think there's going to be a big run of where South Carolina really goes out of their players because even a guy like Knighton, who I think is a really good player. South Carolina wasn't a big factor with him prior to him committing. It was really more Ohio State, Florida State, and a couple other teams. But mm -hmm. uh, but Thomas Brown does have a relationship with him and, and may try to get in there, but I think he's probably going to be a long shot for the Gamecocks. Yeah, and Ohio State still – and it, it almost may end up being good news for the Gamecocks because Ohio State behind the scenes, they've been calling Marshawn Lloyd. This, this hadn't been reported a whole lot, but I, I talked about Ohio State insider guy. Uh, the other day, and he was talking about it, and um, 
You know, so they've been kind of wanting Lloyd. They were sort of involved with Parrish, and they don't really have many running backs committed, and they're having a great year. So if they end up scooping up Knighton, it's almost a blessing in disguise to where what you want to avoid is them kind of trying to come in and make the power play on Marshawn Lloyd or – uh, or Henry Parrish if you do want those two guys. So I, I think that, that even, if Knighton ends up at Ohio State, that may end up being good. Um, my guess and my gut feeling is Florida State will hire a pretty good coach and Knighton will get back in the in the fold for the Knowles. But if, if not, there, there's worse things than him going to Ohio State uh, from a Gamecock standpoint. Um, and who knows who they're going to hire. I, I don't know that it's going to be Bob Stoops just based on – a lot of things. I think they're going to work their way down the pecking order. And uh, I think, Tony, that, you know, because they're kind of in the same region, it, it does impact South Carolina. Particularly, let's say they hire Mark Stoops or let's say they get down the list and they hire Jeff Scott or Brent Venables. I think that could actually have a, a positive impact to a certain extent on the Gamecocks because that impacts teams that are on the schedule every year. Yeah, it does. And Jeff Scott, I think the the tool to watch with him more so than Florida State, unless they just miss on several guys, is South Florida. Yeah, USA. I think if that job comes open, uh, that could end up being a good fit for him and and one that makes more sense for his first head coaching stop. Uh, I don't know if he's ready to take to walk into what Florida State um, need you know, the, the situation there and what they need in a coach. I think they would probably have to miss on several to to get to Jeff Scott. I could see him being in the mix, but if South Florida comes open, I think that job would make a lot of sense for him. Yeah, it's weird. South Florida is kind of a, in addition to you know sending their baseball coach to South Carolina. If, if Jeff Scott and I heard the same thing over the weekend about Jeff Scott and South Florida. Um, South Florida will have ended up – you know, they haven't even been a football program for very long. But their coaches – they would have had Skip Holtz, Charlie Strong, and Jeff Scott as head coaches. So, lots of ties for that program to the Palmetto State and uh, the major programs in the state when all is said and done. So, that's uh, that's an interesting gig. And I agree with, with as well as he recruits Tampa and that area and his connections down there on the west coast of Florida. That's a no-brainer uh, in my opinion. I mean – uh, if 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 that comes about, certainly, you know, I hate to see Charlie Strong lose his job, but Charlie Strong's not doing – the bottom has fallen out with the South Florida Bulls, and UCF's success does not help that. That's an underrated kind of rivalry thing. All right, since, since we're talking about group of five schools, may as well talk about uh, this week's opponent, Tony, Appalachian State. I think it was like – I think 1988 was maybe the last time they played App State, 88. So it's been a while. Um, they used to kind of be a regular on the schedule. Uh, they've won a few handful of national championships and gone to FBS now. And uh, we're, we're kind of in the mix to be the top group of five team for a while. They were ranked. Georgia Southern tripped them up last week uh, before people start thinking that they're not good. Georgia Southern's triple – they went back to the triple option. So that's difficult sometimes. Um Eli Drinkwitz, NC, former NC State offensive coordinator, in his first year as the head coach at App State, um, has done a good job. Uh, you know, talking to some sources last week about this game coming up, the the, the word I got was, this is going to be hard. <laughs> uh, this is hard. These guys are going to be hard to beat. So, I would think that 
you know, this is a ball game. South Carolina should win in the big picture, but when you dig into the matchups, uh, it could very well be a dogfight Saturday night. Yeah, I, that's what I'm expecting. I think it's going to be a, a fourth quarter game and could be the kind of, of contest that comes down to the last possession. So um, uh, I think South Carolina, they cannot afford to take Appalachian State lightly. And I don't think they will when they watch them on film and see what kind of year they've had. Uh, I don't think they will. But um, there was a little bit of that going into the Tennessee game, and you saw what happened there. And and I I don't think uh, they can afford to do that again because I think Appalachian State will punch them in the mouth if they they give them the opportunity. So the Gamecocks need to be ready in all three phases. You know, the defense needs to – I feel like I say it on every podcast, but, you know, it all starts up front. And if they can win that battle at the line of scrimmage and the defensive line can set the tone for the defense, I think the, the Gamecocks have a much better chance to, uh, to to keep Appalachian State more in check. I still think they're going to score some points. Uh, I think they can make life tougher on them if they're winning the battle up front. But if Appalachian State's offensive line wins the battle, just like you know, when Tennessee's offensive line won that battle, then I think South Carolina becomes uh, much more exposed defensively, particularly in the secondary and their safeties. And, and Appalachian State has a passing game to attack those safeties, whether it's with the intermediate stuff, with, with their slot receiver or tight ends, or whether it's uh, down the field and, and making those guys show they can stay in position and, and, and make plays on the ball down the field. So um, I think the play of, of really at both lines of scrimmage is going to be key for South Carolina. The the, the better they can play on the line of scrimmage, the, the better chance they have of, of winning this one in the end. Getting Dylan Wanham back to me and, and Muschamp talked about, I mean, you know, you never know with injuries or if somebody has a setback or not, but getting Dylan Wanham and Rico Dowdle back uh, and then Shai Smith, of course, too, on offense, I, I think that helps. You know, I, I think Rico, if he can run as hard as he has, you know, in the previous games this year, obviously you get your starting right tackle – that sets the Gamecocks up to me, Tony, to be able to put, you know, sustain drives, put points on the board. Obviously, there are issues that they have to kind of tweak and correct because, like you said, they, you know, you look at App State's offense, they have a good quarterback, they have really good skill talent, they can fly. I mean, these guys can fly. Eli Drinkwitz is going to short pass you to death. You're going to have to make plays in space uh, if you're the Gamecocks defense. And, you know, this game will probably end up being on the offense, uh, and particularly South Carolina's offensive line because where I do think the Gamecocks have an advantage is I think Carolina's going to be able to line up and run the ball on these guys um, and keep their offense off the field. Uh, I, I think they can sustain drives, possessions. Um, obviously, you know, even if Feaster misses the game, you know, you have kind of a resurgent Fenwick and Kevin Harris and then Rico coming back. So I, th- I think they can do that. And, you know, it's, it's almost one of those things like when, when South Carolina used to play Clemson under Spurrier, it was almost like a keep-away type game sometimes. Um, and, and I think that that's very important on Saturday. The Gamecocks offense has to stay on the field. I, I think big picture, Tony, it's, it's if Carolina can find a way to win this game, it, it, it's a, it then become, it's a three-game season. Now, so then it becomes a two-game season. And, not going to be easy to go to A&M and win nor beat Clemson. But at least there's a fighting chance. You know, I think they lose this one. I don't want to say all hope is lost. You never say never. But, man, it's just going to make things really difficult 
uh, to get to the postseason this year and thus make this season a major disappointment and a major setback overall for Will Muschamp and his staff. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think if, if you lose this one to App State, the odds of, of winning either of the next two are, are on. It's just, it's just not likely to happen. Whereas if they can get the win and play well and, and have this be a, a game where they can build some momentum and, and feel good going to A&M next week, uh, then who knows what might happen. So um, I, I think this is a big game. You know, it, it's they're not going to get eligible off this game alone, but uh, they keep the bowl hopes alive with the win this week and, and I think keep the players engaged and, and have a much better chance to, to be well prepared next week at A&M versus if they lose this one. I think it's it could easily snowball in the wrong direction and you could see them be unprepared and, and have that game get ugly. So uh, this is a it's a big game, I think, for the players and a big game for the coaches. Absolutely, and it's uh, it's not going to be easy. I, I don't I don't know who scheduled this one back then, but because uh, it's it's actually a two for one. South Carolina goes to Boone, and they better bring some extra bleachers. <laughs> you know, uh, they go to Boone in twenty twenty five. I didn't know that stadium sat enough people to to hold that. And by the way, App State's bringing five. They've sold all their tickets. They got five thousand tickets. Uh, and then they announced this, you know, yesterday in the press conference that Appalachian State's band is going to have to sit in the upper deck. So this is a big game for App State. They don't get to take it. I mean, you know, we're all kind of in the same neighborhood here. You know, App State, South Carolina, they recruit the state of South Carolina heavily. This is a big game for the Mountaineers. Make no doubt. Take, you know, don't even think for a minute that they're not going to come in droves and try to make some noise and you know they'll have a pretty big crowd they're probably as big as the crowd florida brought over and um tennessee brings to town sometimes that it'll be an sec type road crowd so they're fired up for this one and uh certainly it's not going to be an easy thing go ahead yeah and i think the crowd is is uh, from the other side of things south carolina's crowd needs to be ready you can't give away your home field advantage when by your having your fans not show up uh, this is a, a night game. It's going to be cold, uh, not freezing, but it's going to be chilly. But the Gamecock fans need to do their part. They need to show up and, and be ready to make noise and make life difficult on Appalachian State's offense and and you know not allow them to, to come in and, and just execute the way they want to execute. So uh, I think the, the, the Gamecock fans uh, need to uphold their end of the bargain as well and, and make noise and, and be ready for it to be a hostile environment on Saturday night in Williams-Brice. I agree with you completely there. All right, check out Tony's five keys to the game on thebigspur.com. I'll be back with a final word later this week. For Tony Morell, it's J.C. Sherbert. This has been the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon.